Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 8, Episode 14, The Pax Ashikaga. Before we launch into the final years of Yoshimitsu's reign and the relative peace therein, we need to take some time and catch up with the Ryukyuan people. We haven't discussed them in depth in quite some time, partly because our focus is on Japan and partly because reliable recorded history for the Ryukyuan are quite sparse until the 1300s or so. Hopefully you'll recall that the Ryukyuan people inhabit the islands which today are known as Okinawa. In addition to their trade value, the Ryukyu Islands were very important to seaborne Japanese travelers as they served as landmarks for one of the routes to China. By following the Ryukyu chain and then heading due west, Japanese ships could reliably reach the eastern coast of central China. The primary island of Ryukyu, now called Okinawa, served as the political center for the Ryukyuan people. The land was composed of many relatively independent small polities who nominally served a figurehead king. The Tenson dynasty was a semi-mythical family who allegedly descended from Amamikyu, the Ryukyuan goddess of creation. They were allegedly overthrown by Shunten, the son of samurai Minamoto Tametomo, the uncle of Yoritomo who was famous for his archery skills. Stories of this alleged Japanese kingship were not written until hundreds of years after the fact, however, and are considered fabrications. That being said, there was almost certainly some mingling between the Ryukyuan residents and occasional Japanese settlers. Some evidence indicates that members of the defeated Taira clan fled to the southern islands after the conclusion of the Genpei War. According to Ryukyuan history, King Tamagusuku lost the confidence of various smallholders throughout the nation around 1336, and Ryukyu Island was divided into three polities, Hokuzan in the north, Chuzan in the center, and Nanzan in the very south. This period is called the Sanzan period, meaning three mountains, because each of these polities were headquartered on a mountain in the region where they held power. During this period of division, an envoy from the Ming Dynasty arrived. In 1372, King Sato of Chuzan, the central mountain, happily received the representative from the new Chinese dynasty and initiated friendly relations with the mainland, sending tributary gifts and official correspondence. The Ming Dynasty built the port city of Naha on the southwestern end of Chuzan. King Sato died in 1397, around the same time as his two rival monarchs, which led to all three of their successors trying to gain official recognition from China. After the dust settled over Emperor Yongle's somewhat violent coronation, the Ming Dynasty recognized King Bunei, the son of King Sato, as the rightful sovereign in 1406. In thanks, King Bunei ordered several young boys to be castrated, and sent to the Ming court to serve as eunuchs. It had been the custom for many centuries for Chinese governments to employ eunuchs for a variety of official duties. 
However, the Ming emperors were still trying to set themselves apart from their Mongol predecessors, and Emperor Yongle was personally horrified when he received these boys as a gift and sent them back. This caused an uproar among King Bune's rivals, who soon launched a coup and took over the kingdom. Bune was either exiled or killed, and a new monarch crowned in his place. King Shou Shishou was the new sovereign, and his descendants would rule over the Ryukyu kingdom well into the 1470s, when another coup would overthrow them and replace them with the second Shou dynasty, who, although they shared the same dynastic name, were not directly related to Shou Shishou or his descendants. The second Shou dynasty would rule Ryukyu until 1879, the kingdom of Ryukyu enjoyed a tributary relationship with Ming China, and their economy boomed as trade increased throughout Southeast Asia, and their islands became popular stops on trade journeys. They also periodically sent tribute to the Ashikaga shogunate. The port town of Naha eventually became a bustling trade city, and is today the prefectural capital of Okinawa. Japanese history will intersect more directly with that of the Kingdom of Ryukyu in a few seasons when a daimyo of Satsuma will come into conflict with its rulers. For now, let's return to Muromachi, Japan during the reign of Ashikaga Yoshimitsu. I mentioned the Golzan system of Zen temples which were employed by the shogunate, but it is worth exploring in more detail. The temples themselves were more than just mere religious buildings, obviously, and functioned as part of the state apparatus. Each of the Golzon temples was the lead temple in an entire network of temples and monasteries nationwide, and they functioned broadly as part of the communication arm of the Muromachi Bakufu. The Kamakura Shogunate had formed its own collection of Golzon temples near the end of the Kamakura period, but their precise purpose is unknown. Originally, it was Emperor Go-Daigo who proposed creating Kyoto Gozan temples to rival those in the east. In true imperial fashion, the temples were ranked. The first two occupied the top rank, they were Daitokuji Temple and Nanzenji Temple, respectively, and they were both located on hilltops around Heian-kyo. The second rank was occupied by Kenninji and Tofukuji as well, also located on hilltops around the capital. For those of you keeping track, yes, there are only four temples in this Five Great Temples network. Absorbing these temples as organs of government was not a huge priority for Emperor Go-Daigo, and during his time on the throne, a fifth temple was not chosen. It was Ashikaga Takauji, who later established the fifth of the Kyoto Gozan temples, selecting Tenryuji as the fifth such establishment. You may recall that Tenryuji was originally a retirement villa for the late Emperor Kameyama, and that Takauji had converted it into a temple after the death of Godaigo Tenno to pay tribute to his former ally and friend. There is a kind of sad poetry to Takauji putting the finishing touch on a project originally begun by Emperor Go-Daigo, and doing so using a temple which paid tribute to his former friend and ally. Keep in mind that the Kamakura Gozan were still around, and were also utilized by the new shogunate for government purposes. 
The priests and monks at all Gozon temples often served in unofficial government positions like tax collectors, spies, representatives, advisors, and occasionally translators. Ashikaga Yoshimitsu's great contribution to this system was adding a sixth temple, Shoukokuji, to this network, then reshuffling the ranking system so that Nanzenji was placed at the top of the five temples of Kyoto, which you may now realize is six. It would still be called Gozan, meaning five mountains, just go with it. Yoshimitsu celebrated the creation of Shoukokuji in 1392, inviting everyone who was anyone of the capital elite to his new shiny temple. Unfortunately, the temple was destroyed by fire in 1394, but Yoshimitsu rebuilt it using temple taxes. This would not be the last time Shokokuji would need to be rebuilt. The name Shokokuji has a much more obvious connection to this shogun when one understands the meaning of its name. The word shoukoku comes from the Chinese title for one of Yoshimitsu's Japanese posts, that of Udaijin, or Minister of the Right. This particular temple featured a seven-story pagoda, which was said to be 109 meters tall, or 357 feet. If this measurement is to be believed, and frankly I am not alone in being a bit skeptical, the shoukokuji pagoda was the tallest structure built in Japan before the modern age. You may recall that Zen temples in Japan usually did not include a pagoda, and in a way, Shokokuji was no different. Although the pagoda was kept within the care of the monks of Shokokuji, it was located nearby, but still apart from the temple. The reason for this may have been a desire to mimic the temple Hoshoji, which was built by Emperor Shirakawa in the 1000s. Hoshoji, which is sadly long gone, featured a nine-story pagoda, which was in keeping with esoteric teachings at the time. Keep in mind Yoshimitsu's tendency to mimic the late Emperor Shirakawa, the first of the cloistered emperors. We will discuss it further in a few minutes. I hope the connection between religious establishment and political power is becoming clearer to you now. Zen Buddhism retained its position as the denomination of the influential and powerful, and both Zen and the shogunate benefited from their mutual participation, at least for the moment. Corrupt Zen priests who took bribes and acted with loose morals would soon become a regular character in Muromachi-era plays. Which brings us to the subject of no theater. We broadly discussed Noel back in Episode 5, Revenues and Expenditures, and I mentioned that an Ashikaga shogun would give the art form official sponsorship and patronage. That shogun was Ashikaga Yoshimitsu, who attended a Noel performance back in 1374. He was so impressed that he sponsored the theater company called Yuzaki and encouraged his fellow samurai to attend Noel performances. The leader of the Yuzaki Theater Company was Kanami Kiyotsugu. His 12-year-old son, Zeami Motokiyo, was already a gifted performer, and he benefited greatly from the shogun's attention and sponsorship. Zeami was given a private tutor who provided him an education in philosophy, history, literature, and poetry. At some point, Zeami and Yoshimitsu became lovers, and Yoshimitsu is often given credit for encouraging Zeami to develop no from its rustic origins as part of traveling circuses to becoming something more serious-minded and transcendent. 
Noel is performed by actors wearing elaborate costumes and masks, often with music accompanying the performances. Under Zayami's leadership, it began adopting literary elements and influences from Zen Buddhism, historical dramas, and poetry. Credited with composing over 50 Noel plays, Zayami helped elevate the art form from its humble origins and, with the official sponsorship of his lover, the Shogun, it became widely sought out in the capital by both samurai and kuge alike. Eventually, others would try their hand at influencing no theater as it grew and developed, leading to the founding of four schools by the end of the Muromachi period, the Kanzei School, which was the original founded by Kanami and Zeami, the Hosho School, which was founded by Kanami's brother, the Komparu School, and the Kongol School. A fifth school called the Kita School would be founded much later during the early 1600s. Ashikaga Yoshimitsu's sponsorship of fine art like No, as well as his generous contributions to temples around the nation and funding of renovation efforts for older religious buildings, gave him quite the reputation as a spiritually-minded leader. While we have already discussed how the patronage which the Ashikaga granted to the Zen temples was not charity but collaboration, the Zen monks also served an important role in the Bakufu's foreign policy. Travel to China became more common, and Zen monks would often go to study at the Chan schools on the mainland, and when they returned, they informed the shogunate of the various activities of their western neighbors. The Bakufu was fairly well informed about the collapse of the Yuan dynasty and the rise of the Ming dynasty, though for quite some time they were unable to more fully acquaint themselves with China's new overlords. In 1401, with the northern and southern courts finally reunified and the primary rivals to Yoshimitsu's power neutralized, the retired shogun, who was still the Daijo Daijin, or chancellor, decided to pursue a tributary trade relationship with the Ming. Although the international recognition of his regime was probably a bonus, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu was more interested in the income which the trade with Ming China produced. Especially in his later years, his lavish construction projects took top billing in shogunate expenditures. As for his relationship to the throne, it is generally accepted that Ashikaga Yoshimitsu did not exactly hold the office of sovereign in high regard. This is not to say that he went as far as disrespecting the emperor, only that the circumstances of his childhood were quite different from his father's and grandfather's, for he was raised to navigate the twin waters of samurai pragmatism and kuge etiquette. The emperors of his time, Go Enyu and Go Komatsu, had both been placed upon the chrysanthemum throne at his pleasure. Back in 1381, Yoshimitsu became the first samurai to receive the honor of hosting the emperor at his private residence. This would not be the last time that a sitting Tenno would come to visit him. Regardless of the propaganda surrounding the office of Tenno, Yoshimitsu appears to have treated both sovereigns with a level of familiarity which probably would have shocked his predecessors. However, his courtly manners were beyond reproach, and even if he did speak with the sovereigns with the same tone as he would an old friend, he was at least polite about it. And therein lies Yoshimitsu's real strength. He had the respect of the samurai and was able to navigate the often Byzantine world of courtly aesthetics, fashion, and appreciation. 
His reign was marked not only by martial victories, but with an explosion of new art forms and fresh approaches to traditional genres. While he used the trade with Ming China primarily to enrich the Bakufu's coffers to pay for his construction projects, a side effect was exposing the Japanese to craft goods from China, which they eagerly attempted to replicate. In those attempts, new art forms would emerge which bore a distinct Japanese signature. This is not to say that the relationship between the Ming Dynasty and the Ashikaga Bakufu was merely ceremonial. In exchange for a monopoly on legal trade with China, the shogunate agreed to keep a closer eye on the pirate problem and take actions when the buccaneers became too numerous. Yoshimitsu sent orders to the Shugo Daimyo of Kyushu to smoke the Wako out of their caves and disrupt their illegal activities. While the western Shugo were generally independent-minded and somewhat ambivalent about the shogunate, they nonetheless took the opportunity to gain some rewards, and soon the Bakufu were given many prisoners by the Shugo of Kyushu, whom they passed along to the Ming Emperor as proof that they were upholding their end of the bargain. The Emperor returned the captives with a polite nod of gratitude, and the shogunate ordered that these former pirates be boiled alive as an example to the others. It has been a while since we discussed medieval punishments, and it is easy to forget the degree to which these authorities relied upon abject cruelty and intimidation. In the correspondence between the Ming court and Yoshimitsu, the shogun appears to have engaged in some activities which could be described as light treason. He replied to one of the letters with the title Nihon Kokuo, meaning the King of Japan. In what later Ming scholars would claim was merely polite reciprocity and absolutely not an official conferring of a title, Emperor Yongle addressed Yoshimitsu by the same title in his response. All things being equal, this incident does not by itself amount to damning evidence that Yoshimitsu's boundless ambition included supplanting the Yamato emperors with his own descendants. However, it is hardly the only clue which those who would accuse the shogun of treason can point to. After 1394, Yoshimitsu was technically a monk, but as we've already discussed, Zen monks often served the Bakufu in auxiliary functions, and the retired shogun himself continued serving in his role as Daijo Daijin, or Chancellor. We have also already discussed his use of construction projects, but there was another dimension to these efforts which, while less obvious to modern eyes, was a bit more explicit in his time. Near the beginning of Yoshimitsu's reign, Heian-kyo was in terrible shape. Although the destructive tendencies of past generations had reduced the amount of wanton destruction every time the city was taken by the southern court or retaken by the northern court, much of the capital was still in ruins from fires, natural disasters, and the fact that neither court had put much effort into reconstruction. In rebuilding the capital, Yoshimitsu was able to alter the design of the city so that it resembled something more spiritual, a Buddhist mandala. Mandalas are sacred images in esoteric Buddhism, which are meant to portray spiritual hierarchy or relationships. In his reconstruction efforts, Yoshimitsu was redesigning Heian-kyo so that it represented such an image, in hopes that he might be perceived as the Buddha at the center. Although Zen Buddhism was ascendant in both the Kamakura and Muromachi periods, the schools of Tendai and Shingon still existed, as did the older schools still headquartered in Nara. 
The Hoso school in particular still wielded considerable influence through their Shoin estates. Although they did not enjoy the same level of government sponsorship as the Zen schools, they were still a factor in securing and maintaining the peace of the realm. In the 1960s, Japanese historian Kuroda Toshio crafted a theory of political power in ancient Japan, which is called the Kenmon Theory. He posited that three elite groups acting in blocks or rough confederations cooperated to support the privileges and authority of the other groups. These three groups consisted broadly of nobles, large religious organizations, and the warrior elite. The Kenmon theory claims that no single group could effectively utilize its authority without the support of the other two. Being such a new theory, it is still difficult to say to which extent these three groups were really equals, and how much that equality varied from year to year. What we can say with confidence is that Ashikaga Yoshimitsu embodied all three groups in his person, having the manners of a court noble, the battlefield cred of a samurai, and the religious presentation of a monk. The Muromachi Palace is a good example of how Yoshimitsu utilized construction to further his own political and religious ends. For many years, the style of that edifice itself was considered merely another Shindenzukuri-style home, with many chambers being attached by hallways around a central back garden. However, an intriguing recent study, which was published by the Harvard Journal of Asiatic Studies, reveals another purpose to Yoshimitsu's home and seat of power. The paper is titled, Monuments and Mandalas in Medieval Kyoto, Reading Buddhist Kingship in the Urban Plan of Ashikaga Yoshimitsu, and in it, the author Matthew Stavros notes that one of the rooms in the Muromachi Palace was a consecration platform, which would be used in performing esoteric rituals for the protection of the realm. The monks who performed these rituals were seen as spiritual protectors, and they had been employed as such on behalf of the emperor for many centuries before. Although it was Ashikaga Takauji who first sought to utilize these protector monks to pray on behalf of the shogunate, Yoshimitsu once more made permanent what his grandfather had begun by making such rituals a regular occurrence in his home, and thus solidifying his status as a righteous, enlightened ruler. I know it was a few seasons back now, but it's worth remembering that the late Emperor Shirakawa was primarily known for creating the Insei system, wherein a retired sovereign would continue to wield authority after becoming a Buddhist monk. However, there was another notable achievement which would have garnered at least as much attention in his time and long after his death. He had been given the title of Ho, which translates to Dharma King. Some of the monks who served as spiritual protectors to the retired shogun began referring to him by the title of Ho-O. He encouraged this perception through his many pilgrimages, generous patronage of temples from nearly every school, and participation in esoteric rituals which were believed to be very powerful. In 1407, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu attempted to acquire yet another official title, one that would surpass all those which had been awarded to him previously, the title of Daijo Tenno. You're probably thinking, "Uh, wait, I thought that meant retired emperor. Certainly Yoshimitsu had never been an emperor in the first place, much less a retired one, but some distinction in the Japanese translation is important here. 
Interpreted literally, Tenno does not mean emperor, but son of heaven, like the Chinese Tiansui. Daijo does not literally mean retired, but great or grand. Thus translated literally, Daijo Tenno means great son of heaven. To some of his contemporaries, Yoshimitsu's attempt to not only put himself figuratively as the sovereign's equal, but to even request a title solely meant for sovereigns was a step too far. No one dared rebel, of course, but there was significant grumbling about the needless controversy. From Yoshimitsu's perspective, this effort may have simply been an attempt to recognize the reality of his situation. I mentioned earlier that the shogun had been the first samurai to host the emperor at his private residence, but that dinner party in 1381 was not an isolated incident. Yoshimitsu frequently invited the sitting Tenno to sup with him, and around the time when he requested to be granted the title of Daijo Tenno, he actually arranged the seating in his house so that when the emperor came to eat with him, they were sitting on the same level and able to look one another directly in the eye. While I don't think that Yoshimitsu intended to supplant the Tenno, I think it would be difficult to make a case claiming that this was any kind of misunderstanding. He wanted the same recognition, the same reverence and respect, which was normally only given to the sovereign. And frankly, if we are arguing his case based on merit, he may have deserved it. Under his leadership, the dueling courts had been reunited, the capital had been rebuilt to a state far above its former glory, and the constant warring of yesteryear was a thing of the distant past. Whether or not Yoshimitsu would have been successful in lobbying for Daijo Tenno is a subject for alternate history, as he died in 1408 before anything came of his efforts. Shortly after his death, the imperial court, surprisingly, permitted Yoshimitsu to take the title of Daijo Tenno posthumously. Their offer was declined by Yoshimochi, who you may recall was the actual sitting shogun. He strongly opposed any further veneration of his father, with whom he disagreed on many issues. Shokokuji Temple, however, honored Yoshimitsu in death by recording the title Daijo Tenno next to Rokuo Nin, his posthumous name. Ashikaga Yoshimitsu would remain a legendary shogun of the Muromachi Bakufu for his leadership, his considerable political acumen, and his restoration of foreign relations with the Choson and Ming dynasties. Next time, we will explore the reigns of his successors, starting with his son Yoshimochi, who had spent many years chafing under his father's rule and was ready to show the nation a different kind of shogun. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. Thank you.